Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, at least 18 people are killed in a mass shooting in Maine Wednesday night, causing terror in a close-knit community. Cherish your loved ones while they're here because it could happen, I guess, anywhere. Israel steps up its attack on the Gaza Strip, and despair consumes the families of war victims. What did he do, he wails. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, a nonprofit looks to help black faith communities fight illnesses ravaging African Americans. We need all churches to step up because these alarming rates of health disparities are everywhere. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. A wide-ranging manhunt for the suspect in the mass shootings at a restaurant and bowling alley in Lewiston, Maine. At least 18 people died and their families are talking about the devastation of their loss. More people were murdered in the city Wednesday than in the last 15 years combined. CBS's Jeff Pegues reports. Mass shooting suspect Robert Card enlisted in the Army as a reservist in 2002 but was never trained as a firearms instructor. The U.S. Army said his unit went to West Point in July for training, but Card never participated. One U.S. official says that's because he started acting erratically the first day. Card was taken to an Army hospital. He was allegedly hearing voices and threatened to shoot up a base. He was then reportedly committed to a mental health facility, but was released after two weeks. It remains unclear how or when Card obtained the firearm allegedly used in the shooting. But Tom Chittum, a former associate deputy director of the ATF, says despite the mental health evaluation, federal law would not permit Card from having a firearm. Simply being diagnosed with a mental health disorder is not disqualifying, and neither is a commitment when it is voluntary or a brief commitment for observation. But federal law does prohibit people from possessing guns if they've been formally committed to a mental health facility. But the details surrounding his mental health check aren't fully known, so it's unclear if he was flagged to a federal database. Maine's yellow flag law does allow law enforcement to detain someone they suspect is mentally ill and poses a threat to themselves or others. If in fact um, the suspect was hospitalized for two weeks for mental illness, that should have triggered uh, the yellow flag law and he should have been separated from his weapons. CBS's Elaine Cajano with the story of a family that lost a beloved father. He tried to be tough with his kids, you know, but at the same time, he was just, he was great dad. Just was. 
Arthur Bernard says his son, Arthur Strout, always put family first. The two were at Schmengi's Bar and Grill Wednesday night playing pool. He was supposed to leave with me because uh, he didn't bring his car. When it came time to leave, he says, no, he says, I want to hang out and play a couple more games with Justin and Christy will pick me up. For hours, Christy, Strout's wife of almost seven years, desperately kept hope he was alive until they received the grim news. And we got told that he wasn't at the armory where the witnesses went, wasn't at the hospital, and that I would have to wait for the medical examiner to, um, to examine the bodies to find out if he was there or not. And unfortunately, he was. The couple were raising a family together. He's helped me raise my children since they were very, very little. Because of one man's choices, you know, my daughter has to grow up without a father. Now Christy is facing the unbearable, a life without him. What do you want people to know about your husband? He was a good guy and he was family oriented and he always took care of us and he always made sure we had everything that we ever needed. Not having him is going to be very hard. Turning now to the Gaza Strip, where Israel's air and ground attacks are expanding. Explosions and heavy fire could be heard there Friday afternoon. Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, and more than 200 are being held hostage. The head of the United Nations relief effort says the world, quote, seems to have turned its back on Gaza. The Israeli government is facing mounting pressure from the families of those hostages to bring their loved ones home. But even as they gather to voice their demands, a reminder that war is all around, forcing them to seek cover. And even Israel's powerful Iron Dome is not always able to prevent Hamas rockets from landing. In Gaza, there is nothing to stop Israel's relentless bombardment as it steps up airstrikes, often reducing entire neighborhoods to rubble. Bewildered children left with nothing. Amid the ash and the dust, gut-wrenching grief is everywhere. Often, entire families are crushed under the ruins of residential buildings. This man lost his wife and four children, the grief so raw as he rocks his baby boy, who was just two and a half months old. What did he do, he wails. Did he kill anyone? Did he kidnap someone? They were just innocent children inside this house. The death toll in Gaza is soaring at a staggering rate. Body after body wrapped in shrouds, laid down outside a local hospital, even as more arrive. Israel is also conducting ground raids into Gaza, one targeting what the military says was a suspected Hamas position on the outskirts of Gaza City, backed by fighter jets and drones. And the United Nations is now warning of possible war crimes being committed in Gaza, saying it is deeply concerned about the collective punishment of people living there in response to the atrocious attack by Hamas, which it says is also a war crime. Deborah Pader, CBS News, Jerusalem. There's evidence now that inflation is cooling. CBS's Jason Brooks. The September Personal Consumption Expenditure Index rose 3.7% when stripping out food and gas, slightly weaker than in August, and a key measure for the Federal Reserve, which has been worried about core inflation. The overall index was steady from the prior month. 
Consumers have been shrugging off inflation and high interest rates to maintain their spending habits, with personal spending surging higher from August and above market estimates. Dating all the way back to ancient Egyptian times, black cats have been getting a bad rap in the West. But Friday is National Black Cat Day. CBS's Chanel Call reports you could show one some love this spooky weekend. Even thousands of years later, the swirling stereotype has made it harder for them to get adopted. The color black has been associated with death, um, sadness, um, all kinds of negative things. But the ASPCA says National Black Cat Day in the lead up to Halloween is an opportunity to dispel those myths. What are they actually like? What are their characteristics? Super friendly, super sweet. They're like any other cat. Hoping education and some cuddles. She seems to really like you. Coming up, a husky living large thanks to his namesake. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. President Biden just got some competition in his bid for re-election from a fellow Democrat. CBS's Bob Costa with more. Are you running for president? I am. I have to. Congressman Dean Phillips, a Minnesota Democrat, is launching a bid for the White House. Even he calls a long shot, taking on an incumbent president he still praises. I think President Biden has done a spectacular job for our country. But it's not about the past. This is an election about the future. Phillips, a 54-year-old former business executive, believes President Biden is on pace to lose to former President Donald Trump and needs to be challenged for the Democratic nomination. I will not sit still. I will not be quiet in the face of numbers that are so clearly saying that we're going to be facing an emergency next November. Recent CBS News polling shows a Biden-Trump rematch would be a jump ball politically. And that only a third of voters are sure Biden would finish a second term. Biden maintains he is fit to serve. Are you with me in this fight? Do you believe President Biden's age is a factor in your decision to run? I think it's time for a new generation. I think it's time to pass the torch. And I say now. I think the time is now because I think four years from now, it might be too late. Phillips is the first sitting lawmaker to take on Biden joining Marianne Williamson running against the president in the Democratic race. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornell West, who have followings on the left, are running as independents. I'm a proud Democrat, and if I'm not the nominee, I will give it my all, just as much as I intend to give my own campaign to whoever that nominee is. We met Phillips, an heir to the Phillips Liquor Fortune, who helped later expand Talanti Gelato at a home he owns in Virginia. They say in Washington, if you want a good friend, you get a good dog. And I got two. In Congress, he has cast himself as a centrist suburban Democrat. We should work together 
Democrats and Republicans. And while he is the latest Democrat to join the presidential race, he hopes he's not the last. Do you believe that your candidacy could soften the ground for others to get in? I hope it does. I know it's rare for somebody entering this arena to actually invite competition, but we need it. After weeks of Republican infighting, the U.S. House finally elected conservative Mike Johnson of Louisiana as its new speaker. He met with President Biden at the White House on Thursday, but CBS's Nicole Killian reports he is still dodging questions about his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Do you believe the 2020 election was stolen, sir, just yes or no? After the election, Johnson, in coordination with then-President Donald Trump, recruited more than 100 Republicans to sign on to a brief supporting a lawsuit to overturn the results. He also promoted conspiracy theories about rigged voting machine software in a radio interview. When you have you know, a software system that is used all around the country that is suspect because it came from Hugo Chavez as Venezuela. Democrats are concerned Johnson could again try to block certification of the Electoral College results next year if President Biden wins again. His track record with respect to trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election speaks for itself. Johnson's opponents are also singling out his views on abortion rights. There is no right to abortion in the Constitution, period. Before entering office, Johnson called abortion a holocaust that has been repeated every day for 32 years since 1973's Roe v. Wade. As a congressman, he's co-sponsored at least three bills that would ban the procedure nationwide. Do you intend to pursue a national abortion ban as speaker, sir? But he had nothing to say today about how he will govern going forward. Johnson is also staunchly anti-gay rights. In 2004, he called homosexuality inherently unnatural and voted against legalizing same-sex marriage. Moderate Republicans argued that despite views they may disagree with, he'll be an efficient speaker. And he recognizes the need that, irrespective of prior positions, he's going to have to weave us together uh, towards a common goal. Several Republican lawmakers told us they don't think Speaker Johnson will inject his personal views into his new role. For his part, Johnson also expressed a willingness to work across the aisle, calling his meeting with President Biden productive. Nicole Killian, CBS News, Capitol Hill. Terrifying moments on an Alaska Airlines plane this week as an off-duty pilot allegedly tried to shut down its engines mid-flight. 44-year-old Alaska Airlines Captain Joseph Emerson in court facing 83 counts of attempted murder after he allegedly attempted to turn off the engines of Alaska Flight 2059 while he was off-duty and riding in the cockpit jump seat Sunday night. We've got the uh, guy that tried to shut the engines down uh, out of the cockpit. According to newly released court documents, Emerson told police he was having a nervous breakdown, hadn't slept in 40 hours, was battling depression, and had consumed, quote, magic mushrooms two days earlier. About a half hour into the flight, the pilots told investigators Emerson threw off his headset and pulled red fire handles like these that can cut off fuel to the engines. One of the pilots said he wrestled Emerson away from the controls and asked him to leave the cockpit. Police say Emerson told them he did it because I thought I was dreaming and I just want to wake up. Fear went through our bodies. Passenger Paul Stephen was one of 84 on board. I've flown a lot in my life, and I had been scared once before, and um, yesterday was the second time. While in the back of the plane, court documents say Emerson asked to be handcuffed, but then tried to open an emergency exit door. Police arrested him when the plane landed in Portland. Airline Captain Laura Einsettler. 
the crew that was operating this flight did an excellent job being able to actually challenge him, get him away from the controls, and, and subdue him and be able to get him into the back of the aircraft. Emerson pleaded not guilty to all charges, but will remain behind bars at least for now. Alaska says he showed no signs of visible impairment before boarding that Sunday night flight and had passed all of his FAA-required medical certifications throughout his more than 20-year pilot career. That includes regular screenings for mental health. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, London. New concerns about COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccines for COVID and flu may slightly increase the risk of stroke caused by blood clots in the brain, and this was primarily in those who are 85 and older. That according to this new study. WSB reporter Sabrina Cupid adds that researchers say the benefits of the vaccines outweigh the slight risk of the shots. We learned from his reality shows that rock star Brett Michaels can be in his feelings, but who is he loving now? Poison frontman Brett Michaels is sharing his big heart with a six-year-old husky who shares his name. And you know there's a story. Brett Michaels, the dog, is a hero who saved the life of an ailing kitten at the Nebraska Humane Society via a blood transfusion. The kitten, named Roses and Thorn, after the poison hit Every Rose Has Its Thorn, of course, had flea anemia and blood from Brett Michaels, the dog, saved its life. The Brett Michaels, the rock star one, heard about all of this, and now the gorgeous husky is living large. Not only was the canine adopted by Brett Michaels, the famous one, now the rock star is trying to find a home for the kitten as well. Coming up, a deadly hurricane in Mexico. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. The U.S. carried out airstrikes on facilities in Syria early Friday, targeting those where Iranian-backed militia groups store weapons. CBS's Ed O'Keefe reports they are in response to recent attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. The strikes come as President Biden has shared concerns about the Israel-Hamas conflict widening into a broader war. And he's been warning Iran and militant groups not to use the conflict as an opportunity to attack Americans stationed across the Middle East. Early Friday, U.S. airstrikes at two sites in eastern Syria linked to Iran after recent attacks on American troops in the region. It happened near the town of Abu Kamal, which sits on the border with Iraq. Pentagon officials say it targeted two locations, including weapons and ammunition storage areas. A senior defense official and a senior military official tell CBS News the strikes were carried out by F-16 fighter jets. They say it was in defense of U.S. forces, separate from support of Israel. Since the Hamas attacks, U.S. forces operating in Iraq and Syria have come under increased rocket attacks by Iranian-backed militias. Just Thursday, U.S. officials say there were three more attacks on U.S. forces, a total of 19 since October 17th. We're concerned about potential escalation. The escalation prompted President Biden this week to issue this warning to Iran's leader. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond, and he should be prepared. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says Mr. Biden directed the narrowly tailored strikes in self-defense, adding Iran wants to hide its hand and deny its role in the attacks on U.S. forces. Since the Hamas attacks, the Pentagon has been boosting forces in the region by sending Patriot missile batteries and aircraft, including F-16 fighter squadrons, all in hopes of getting Iran to back off.
the United States does not seek conflict with Iran. We do not want this war to widen. During one of those attacks on U.S. forces, the Pentagon says 21 U.S. personnel suffered minor injuries and have returned to duty. The administration has made clear repeatedly since the Israel-Hamas conflict began that it would respond to aggression towards U.S. forces. Now to Mexico, where hundreds of people are still looking for missing loved ones in the wake of Hurricane Otis, which slammed into the Pacific coast there on Wednesday. Officials say they are moving supplies into Acapulco, but large parts of the city are cut off, and some are questioning the official death toll. Reporter Enrique Acevedo is there. Mexico's President Andrés Manuel López Obrador said Hurricane Otis toppled every power line pole in the area Wednesday, leaving 500,000 homes without electricity, and also brought down Acapulco's municipal water system. Survivors of the strongest hurricane to hit the eastern Pacific wander the streets of Acapulco, peeking through what's left of their homes and businesses. Ya no quedó nada. Residents are frustrated that after devastating rain and sustained winds of 165 miles per hour, crumpled buildings and flooded streets, authorities haven't accomplished more. Looters were seen breaking into stores as many residents struggled with a lack of basic supplies. Acapulco's Diamond Zone, an oceanfront tourist hub, was turned into a debris field with windows blown out of beachfront hotels. With local airports closed, Stranded tourists have been relying on buses to get out of the region. China launched its youngest ever crew for its orbiting space station Thursday morning. This is Beijing sets its sights on the moon, just as the U.S. is planning a return to Luna. CBS's Mark Strassman has more on the space race. China has all the markings of a rising space power. A reliable rocket program, an orbiting space station, and rovers on the moon and Mars. So you got to give them credit. They're good. NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. Are we in a new space race? We're in a space race. For us to go back to the moon, for them to get to the moon. This space race's prize, the moon's south pole, where there's ice. That means water, air, and rocket fuel, critical to use the moon as a springboard to Mars. The U.S. plans to build a base there as part of its Artemis program. But China does, too. What to you is worrisome about all this? They are not transparent. And you better watch your stuff. Nelson points to China's sweeping territorial claims across the South China Sea. That's my concern about them getting to the South Pole before us, is they get there and they say, this is our territory. You stay out. Kevin Polpeter has studied China's space moves for more than two decades. And then we would get into a situation that could turn from competition, perhaps, into conflict. We've got a situation over here. That's what happens in Apple TV's original series, For All Mankind. A competition between countries to mine scarce lunar resources turns deadly. Space is no longer science fiction. And if the United States does not maintain its lead, we are at risk of losing our national and economic security. It's unclear what conflict on the moon might look like. It's a new day in space exploration. But to lift that threat, the U.S. and 28 other nations have signed the Artemis Accords, a kind of best practices for exploring the moon responsibly. By law, NASA can't cooperate with China. But NASA says even China can commit to the Accords' principles. You want to have a peaceful approach to space, an international approach. The Chinese 
are not uh, willing to do that. China says it has advocated for peace and world cooperation in space, and its lunar partners include Russia, Pakistan, and Venezuela. And liftoff of Artemis 1. For NASA, the race back to the moon is a marathon. After a test flight last year, the agency plans to send a crew around the moon late next year. Then in 2026, a moon landing mission. But supply chain problems, technical challenges, and other delays threaten NASA's schedule. Are you concerned that those delays could be significant enough that the Chinese would get there first? We should be landing before they would have a chance. But beware, because they are very aggressive. This year, China announced its lunar timetable is accelerating. Astronauts on the moon by 2030 five years earlier than previously planned. Mark Strassman in Washington. The nation's capital is losing some of its most popular residents and their signature color block style. For the first time in two decades, Washington will be pandaless. The giant pandas will be moving out of the Smithsonian's National Zoo in the next three weeks as the zoo's agreement with the China Wildlife Conservation Association is coming to an end. Tian Tian and Mei Zhang were loaned from their homeland in 2000. Their furry little cub, Chao Qi Ji, was born during the pandemic. And if you're curious how three 200-pound-plus pandas travel, they jet out for the 19-hour trip on the world's largest twin-engine FedEx cargo plane, nicknamed the Giant Panda Express. Stacy Lynn, CBS News, Washington. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, the faith community and the black health crisis. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment where every week we discuss issues including gender, this time, we're talking about an effort to help black faith communities mobilize to aid African-Americans facing a plethora of health disparities from Alzheimer's to infant mortality and cardiovascular disease. The nonprofit Balman Gilead is presenting the Healthy Churches Conference next month, and founder and CEO Pernessa Seal joins us to discuss how faith and health leaders can work together to fight systemic racism's effects on people of color. Well, Allison, you know, we have the Balm and Gilead. We've been doing this for 36 years now. And this is our 10th year of bringing folks all over the all over the world, really, but let me get that, all over the country together uh, to really look at how we can build the capacity of our faith communities. Because, you know, on Sunday morning and in our communities every day, we have the highest rates 
of everything. You know, black women have the highest rates of Alzheimer's. Uh, when we look at peripheral artery disease, we're still getting our legs and toes and feet amputated at rates than any other ethnic group in this country. You know, diabetes is off the charts. So we go on and on and on. And I believe that we must have people in our community that have the resources, that have the knowledge, who are able to talk to people. When you know, you know, Sister Mary doesn't, didn't look quite right this morning. Is she over medicating herself? What's happening? Let me get on the phone and 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 bring some resources to the table. Let me go to my resource uh, room at the church and get something. Uh, you know, we have to have people in our communities that are able to tap into. Uh, the health situations, the, the alarming rates of health diseases that we're suffering in our community. And what better place to do that, to build that capacity than our churches? I want to ask you, what have churches been doing and what do you think they should be doing more of? Well, you know, I have seen over these 36 years, churches really, many churches step up. You know, we now have churches that are doing from the little church, from the little church who are doing um, best uh, health fairs, you know, uh, out in the backyard of the church, health fairs. Maybe they have some uh, walking groups around the cemetery, out in the rural communities. We have churches that are bringing the clinics to the church on Wednesday. The, 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 the choir room may be a choir room on Sunday, but it's a clinic room on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So over these many years, I've seen churches really, really step up. Uh, but we need all churches to step up because these alarming rates of health disparities are everywhere. And we need to have a system, a systematic coordinated system where people know we can go to the church and get in facts, information and get connected to facts and resources addressing our concerns. I'm interested that you said churches are stepping up because years ago we were talking about the churches and HIV, right? And the black community still has 40% of the new HIV infections. And some churches have not always been ready to deal with that or welcoming to the LGBTQ community. Has that changed? Unfortunately, we still have too many churches who are not saying anything. But I would say that over these years, Many churches are there. They are having these conversations. You know, it's it's sad that we really don't talk about HIV in this country, period. Uh, but I think that I believe, I know that there are churches who are opening their doors, who have inclusive ministries, you know, and one of the speakers this year at the conference is Cookie Johnson, you know, who, and because we're talking about, we're still talking about HIV, but we're also talking about transgender health and the policies around healthcare, you know, that affect not only straight, gay, transgender, whatever, poli these policies affect everybody. So I think that you st we still have a lot of work to do around HIV, but we have a lot of work to do around stigma, period. Because whether we are talking about HIV or cancer or whatever disease, somehow in our churches, it becomes stigmatized. You know, it becomes you know, your health situation becomes the work of the devil, you know, and that's the that's a myth, uh, a theological myth, bad theology that the bomb in Gilead, we have to continue to eat, erase. You know, we have to scrub it out 
because when we look at mental illness, you know, we, we have so much mental illness in, in our community and as well as in our country, but we don't, we don't go to our, our, our doctors. We don't get a, we don't get our mental health addressed because what? We just talk to Jesus. So we are bringing public health and faith together to really deal with not only the, the resources and the facts around health, but the myths, the generational myths that keep us from getting available resources that can move us from this abyss of health health uh, disparities. I'm glad that you mentioned mental health because I was going to ask you about that. But I also want to ask you about maternal health and infant mortality, because that is a huge issue for black women. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we're going to be talking about um, maternal health as well, because we know the statistics are staring us in our face. We are losing too many babies and too many mothers uh, at the time of our death to the point to the point, Allison, where, you know, we are now talking about the life expectancy here in America is decreasing. The richest country in the world is now decreasing. And one of those reasons, per se, Harvard School of Public Health, is the alarming rates of maternal health and infant mortality. You know, so the, the, we have to really come to grips with the not just the statistics of it, but the reasons why, you know, the racial disparities, the lack of access, how we're treated once we get to the hospital. All, we have to look at all of this if we're going to come out of this. I've got to ask you, you were talking about how so many illnesses are stigmatized in the church. Why is that? Well, you know, then this is, you know, I, this is a great area for me, Allison. But, you know, when I was growing up in, in, in South Carolina, first of all, you didn't talk about your problems. That's the first thing. And, you know, it, it, and, it's, and it comes from a sense that, well, you know, I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I'm really living my life. And why, why have God forsaken me with this health challenge? You know, and uh, I, I believe that that's just bad theology. I believe we, we in, through this life journey, we have issues. The body, the body is just a vessel that it has issues, you know, and it's, and it's by, and it's, it's God's grace is, is greater than any other thing that there is. Uh, but I think that we, that's why we bring, that's why we bring our faith leaders, our theologians to have these real conversations, in-depth conversations, conversations that can be the yin and the yang of things, you know, um, because we know that so oftentimes I know folks who have actually made a decision to die before they took available medication because they believed that Jesus was going to heal them, you know, and I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of healing, but I also believe in the power of uh, medical healing and doctors and, and physicians. So I think that's why we, that the bomb in Gilead, we always bring public health leaders and faith leaders together to talk about these uh, serious issues and why some of us, some of us stay stuck in our bad theology that I'm being punished based on a disease that I may have had. That may in fact just be, you know, a, a genetic, or it may be, you know, uh, you, 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 you lived, you worked in the, worked in a, 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 a factory or you work somewhere, uh, you work on the computer and got bad corporal tunnels. I don't know, Allison, 
but uh, we, we have to address these things. Let me just ask you real quick, when is this conference? And if people want to join and hear some of this from health experts and faith leaders, where can they do it? They can go to Balm in Gilead, B-A-L-M-I-N-G-I-L-E-A-D dot O-R-G, or they can go to hc2030.org and register right there. That's Balm and Gilead founder and CEO, Pernessa Seal. Coming up, the legacy of a role model for black masculinity. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. The falling leaves drift by the window. Folk across the nation are trekking to take a gander at the pretty fall foliage and the rainbows of red, orange, and yellow festooning the trees in many areas. But after you brave that traffic, must you break out the rake? Or is there another way? There's no question they are a beautiful seasonal transition. But if they're still hanging over your head, you might want to wait so you don't have to do this more than once. And when you do grab the rake, do you really need to get rid of all of them? Depending on the type of leaf that it is and the and the abundance or lack of abundance of leaves that you have um, will help us determine that. Penn State turf expert Jeff Fowler says when it comes to abundance, remember, they are creating a blanket over your grass, which is a living, breathing plant. If we let them lay and there's an overabundance of leaves, um, we're going to suffocate the, the plant. Um, and we don't want to do that. So grab the mower. Mulch them down and, and bag them um, through a lawnmower and then put them in a big pile and let them... Um, degrade, let them rot. If you've got a spot to do that, it could save you a lot of money on fertilizer next year. Really quality compost that will add nutrients and um, water holding capacity to um, your gardens or your and or your yard. If the carpet of leaves is more sparse, Fowler says mulching them right back into the yard also works, but be careful of the quantity. You can still see the grass. You're in good shape. There is an exception, though. Oak leaves are really high in tannic acid, so we, um, we'd we like to um, compost them before we would add them to um, back to the yard or back into our gardens, for example. And take it from someone who learned the hard way, a pile of leaves will absolutely kill the grass in that spot. It's ugly, and my wife keeps giving me a hard time about it. That's KDKA-TV's John Shumway reporting. Chronic absenteeism rates in schools soared during the COVID-19 pandemic, and more than half of all students still weren't showing up regularly in Indiana's South Bend Empowerment Zone last year. It's a problem in many parts of the nation. WSB-TV's Kristen Bean looks at what's being done to get them into the classroom so they don't face low grades and test scores, become less likely to graduate, and face possible lifelong challenges. This is the Family Resource Center at Navarre Middle School. But our big space, this is like our main room right here. Leanna Potts and Lee Ross work part of the time in here or around the building. So we got pants. Uniforms. But a lot of what they do happens outside. We try to just let them know that we're coming simply to do a check-in. Potts and Ross knock on doors to check on absent students. Make sure, you know, we're here, open arms. We have everything, all resources that you 
could possibly need. They are family and community service specialists, or FACS specialists. Their positions are unique to the Self Bend Empowerment Zone, paid for with Title I dollars. When they get a report from the office or a teacher that a student has been absent, they set out to figure out why. How often is it that a kid hasn't been coming to school because there's something that they need or something that they don't have? I would yeah. say 100% of the time. The FACTS team helps provide what the child needs to return to school and can connect the family to resources and help. We have lots of kids, usually it's like, I wouldn't even say a lot, say like a handful of kids that just literally don't have shirts or don't have pants. They may not have socks, don't have jackets or coats, sweaters. They can just come get it. This is just one way the South Bend Empowerment Zone is trying to get kids to come to class regularly. There is a lot of work to do. But slight declines in the rate of chronic absenteeism at zone schools shows it might be making a difference. 66% of students at Warren Elementary School in the 2021 to 2022 school year were chronically absent. That means they missed more than 18 days or 10% of the school year. But last year, it dropped about 10 percentage points. Still, more than 50% of students are still considered chronically absent. That's because the challenges that cause some students to be chronically absent are complex. I don't think most kids wake up in the morning and say, I'm just not going to school this morning. I don't think that's the case. I think it's uh, deeper than that. Navarre principal Tim Harris says most kids want to go to school and most parents want their kids to go to school. Unfortunately, issues with transportation, mental health, homelessness, family dynamic all factor in. And the COVID-19 pandemic didn't help. And I don't think uh, all communities have recovered from COVID-19. He's right. According to a report from the White House, the national increases in chronic absenteeism are large enough that they could be contributing to declines in post-pandemic test scores. Research shows just a couple of absences a month impact reading. Kids who are chronically absent are even more likely to struggle in school long term. I've always told my parents, you send your child to me every day, I guarantee you they'll be successful in, in school. I just need them every day. This is not just an issue in the zone. According to the Indiana Department of Education, during this past school year, nearly 20% of students were considered chronically absent. And the numbers show children in poverty and children of color were far more likely to experience chronic absenteeism. I would submit that the things that we, we do outside of the academic world to support the students and the families have more impact than the academic part of it. It's why the work being done outside the building to get kids into the building is crucial to the long-term success of each child and the zone. And we're literally coming from a place of love, want your kid here, and we want you okay, because you got to be okay for your kids to be okay. Finally, paying tribute to a beloved actor who made a difference in many lives. Where am I, man? My name is John Shaft. Freeze. Richard Roundtree, who lit up the screen as private detective John Shaft in the 1971 movie, is dead. Roundtree's super smooth character resonated with the black community with his charm and ties to the African-American neighborhoods he policed and protected. Who is the man that would risk his neck for his brother, man? Roundtree was a legend for many fans and was a role model for black masculinity. Robert Thompson at Syracuse University explains. 
Gordon Parks, of course, uh, the director, Richard Roundtree, one of the first really big uh, black action heroes. Roundtree starred as Jack Johnson in The Great White Hope Off-Broadway and won a Peabody Award for his narration of the 2002 PBS documentary The Rise and Fall of Jim Crow. Richard Roundtree had pancreatic cancer and died at his Los Angeles home. He was 81 years old. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to weekendroundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand, Drunk Elephant, was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen to Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more, Wondery means business.